welcome to Books in the Wild, the podcast about exploring books. I'm Carrie Schroeder. A few months ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with book artist Lyle Harris. Unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, I was unable to release the episode before the opening of Lyle and Patricia Silva's exhibition at the San Francisco Public Library in June. It took a little bit of time and a lot of YouTube tutorials, but I managed to clean up the audio to make it somewhat listenable, and I do believe that the content in the conversation truly outweighs my shortcomings with recording. The other good news is that Lyle and Patricia's exhibition is still on view, and there will be a panel discussion on creative collaboration on September 9th, 2017. Lyle Harris is a book artist, writer, and painter who lives and works in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Florence, Italy. Lyle's artwork has been exhibited in more than 100 solo and juried group shows and recognized with over 20 awards. She has been the recipient of fellowships at Virginia Center for Creative Arts, NALL Foundation in Vents, France, and San Francisco's Grabhorn Institute. Lyle is also the co-founder and co-editor of the Sci Press, a literary and art journal in Florence, Italy. Meeting Places is a collaborative work by Lyle and Florence, Italy-based book artist and printmaker Patricia Silva. After having met in Florence, Lyle Harris and Patricia Silva embarked on a series of 12 collaborative book art projects since 2014. The artists set constraints for the process, both of materials and time, which forced them to work in an immediate, intuitive, and exploratory way. The varied work addresses issues and histories from their shared and layered perspectives as artists, mothers, daughters, wives, and expats in a changing and complex environment. Meeting Places is now on view at the San Francisco Public Library through September 14, 2017. I will have more details in the show notes and at the end of this episode. And now without further ado, here is my interview with Lyle Harris. Um, so one of the first questions I like to ask is, how did you first discover book art? And then what was it about book art that resonated with you? Uh, so I discovered book art in about 1992 or three, um, but I did not know the term book art. Mm -hmm. So I, I realized later that I was doing something called book art. Um, <laughs> and it happened because I had an opportunity to live in Italy in the early 90s and stumbled across some paper um, from made, I believe, in Sicily that was really beautiful um, and just started folding it and doing strange things with it. And I had studied jewelry making um, prior yeah. to that at, at what was then known as CCAC, now CCA. Um, and I was still making jewelry, in fact, in Italy at that time. And I think the combination of the paper and the jewelry um, experience combined to, I don't know, turn, turn this thing into, you know, these sort of book structures. Uh, I was also writing, and, and I should say my background is in painting. So all of that kind of came together in this strange little medium that I was cooking up on the kitchen table. So you have an MFA in book art and creative writing, but you're also, and you, you did talk about this briefly in the last question, but you're also a painter and you have a BA in art history. Does the art history play into your artwork as well? Absolutely. And the jewelry, I would say that my, my art practice has really been painting. Oh, um, I, mm -hmm. I did do jewelry for years and enjoyed that, but my sort of primary drive was, was painting and, and, and writing increasingly. Um, you know, it was just, I mean, I'm 49, so this has been a long journey, mm -hmm. um, and I, I didn't really 
come into book art in, until maybe my late 20s, and then and then I got my MFA at age 40. So, you know, I'd already had quite, quite a long time of, you know, a working artist and, and mostly painting up mm-hmm. to that point. But it really was a natural transition. It was kind of um, really the natural place I think writers and, and visual artists go. Um, and, and again, the jewelry, I mentioned that just to say that, you know, there was that kind of craft element that was always there and always mm-hmm. very satisfying that I could make something, maybe not in a day, but, but certainly, you know, in a week that I could, it was done and it was very a satisfying object. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and book art certainly responded to that, uh, had a similarity in that, in that way. Um, so that piece plus the the writing and the painting it really was just this beautiful uh, discovery and once I really did, did learn the term book art and, and figured out and that happened by the way when I moved to the Bay Area in um, 1998 okay. from Italy mm-hmm. uh, and discovered the Center for the Book and oh. started taking classes there and realized oh my goodness you know where, where have I been <laughs> there are all these people doing this and, mm-hmm. and I was going to exhibitions a lot and there were a lot of things happening and still are at the San Francisco Public Library in the Skylight Gallery, I remember stumbling into, I think it was the PCBA uh, exhibitions there and, and just thinking, wow, look at all these different things happening in this medium. It was so broad. Mm-hmm. And it could include it could include what I was doing more of then, which were really more sculptural books, not so much text-based. Um, but it also included beautifully, you know, bound letterpress, more traditional books. So I, I love the range, and I still do. I, I love that there's no one way this thing has to look. But but to go back to your question about the art history, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I was a practicing practicing painter for for so many years, and by the way, still still do paint. Mm-hmm. Of course, I mean art history. I draw on that constantly. Um, I'm very interested in. I'm a visual person, so like all visual people, you know, we, we look at the world, and 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 many of us also go to museums and look at how other people have interpreted it. Um, whether that's from the outside or the, or the inside out. So um, I I really, uh, I guess, my, my connection with Italy and, and, you know, since I was there, of course, was naturally looking at a lot of Italian art and certainly um, early Renaissance and Renaissance art. I was in Florence. Mm-hmm. And I, I uh, spent many summers in Assisi painting. Um, and Giotto is a, a painter who has a fresco cycle in the Basilica there, um, uh, and I, Francisco uh, uh, Cycle St. Francis, and that, that was, I mean, I knew his, his work, but I'd, I'd studied it, in fact, in college, but at a very great distance in, you know, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then here I was standing in front of these frescoes, finally, and, and that, that was transformative, and he's, those paintings and Giotto's paintings in general have been a mainstay um, for me, and I think that's has to do with the... Well, they're very sophisticated, and I, I, but they but they're seemingly have a sort of a seeming simplicity, a kind of flatness and and layering of space that I find incredibly interesting. And yet, of course, at the time it was revolutionary. But mm-hmm. um, and, and there's also a, a kind of a chalky quality to to frescoes that I I love that kind of matte chalky quality. And in fact, later really turned to in my own painting to gouache painting. Oh, um, okay. And I think maybe there was some kind of remote idea in my mind I mean thing that I liked about that that quality of the of the paint on the on the surface so um but but certainly um my art history and exposure to art history and my mother's an art historian um have have informed 
certainly informed my kind of visual vocabulary. So we had an opportunity to move to Italy, and uh, I didn't know any book artists in Italy uh, Googled kind of who was doing what in, in book arts. Was that even something happening? What did book arts look like in, in Italy? And I came across several times the name of Patricia Silva, teaches book art at a variety of places in Florence. Um, Saatchi is one of them, Santa Reparata, another people who studied there uh, frequently know these places because not the letterpress isn't everywhere, but there, these are a few schools where one can also do letterpress along with printmaking and, and book arts. And so um, I managed to get in touch with Patricia and just said, hey, do you want to have a coffee? And, and that was in 2013, um, January 2013. And about, I guess, about a year later, we started collaborating. And it's, it's sort of funny. I mean, she, <laughs> we have a kind of joke that um, that I, you know, kind of tracked her down and stalked her until she collaborated <laughs> with me. It wasn't, I promise it wasn't like that, but we do joke about that. Um, because she says I, I kind of drew her into these collaborations. I honestly don't remember who said first, hey, let's collaborate, but she says I, I, uh, I you know, pushed her into it. I mean, I think she's very happy that if that's the case that I did. But um, So we just started very casually, kind of let's try this, let's just try a book together. And by the way, I've never collaborated like that, so mm-hmm. for me too. But I don't know, just something about we had a lot of things in common, mm-hmm. married to a Florentine. She also has a daughter who's bicultural, bilingual. But they they live there. Her her family's you know she's raised her daughter there. So, but we just we had a lot of similarities. And by the way, she also has an MFA from the University of, um, of the Arts. Oh, so, okay. And her background prior to that is oh, and she has a, she has a lot of studies in art history. And uh, anyway, I think BFA. So there were just many commonalities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we came up with this working method of a process of time constraints and material exchanges. And by the way, I had not seen any of her work at all. I, did, I didn't know anything about her visual world. And I, I tried. I, I Googled <laughs> it and nothing came up. So, you know, it could have been, it could have been interesting and in, interesting experiment, it, but it, it turned out to be absolutely wonderful. And we, we had such a nice, uh, I mean, I was going to say communication, but we weren't, we weren't really talking as we collaborated because the process was that uh, one of us would start a project with materials and an inspiration, and the other one would take that and and go work on it for a period of time, and it was usually two or three weeks, oh, bring okay. it back, and the project was at a halfway point, and mm-hmm. then the originating artist would finish the books in approximately two to three weeks. So we weren't actually sitting down together. It was really a, here's this, and you take it and run with it, and then they would bring it back, and, and then the originating person would finish. So there was the only kind of piece of, you know, control or whatever that existed was the originating inspiration and materials, but even those could be interpreted in any, in any way. Um, and the materials could be added to or edited. I mean, we tried to stay true to the original kind of seed mm-hmm. of the project each time, but there was a, there was a lot of freedom. So um, it could have, you know, it, I just feel like it's kind of the magic of collaboration it worked, that it works so well with her. Um, and and so one project then led to, hey, well, why don't we make another? And then we said, well, let's make 12. <laughs> so we've, we've, we're just finishing right now. Now, this has taken longer because I've since moved back to the United States. So mm-hmm. the last year has been, or even year and a half, 
you know, time constraints haven't worked as well just simply because we, we don't, we're not seeing each other to make these exchanges. But it's similar in the sense that we're still probably only working on them those, you know, like a couple of weeks before then we, we are able to have an exchange. Um, and then, and then recently we, uh, after, after the end of, so we're finishing the 12th book, but we were well on our way to doing that. And then we had an opportunity to have a different kind of collaboration in Florence, which we were invited by the Santa de Parata uh, International School of Art Gallery to have a kind of residency where we did this time sit together and, and work side by side mm-hmm. for a couple weeks to develop a show and then and then and then showed the work and that that just happened um, in the beginning of April so last last month and the, the the thing with that was we wanted to stay true to this idea of material constraints and time constraints. Time constraint was there because we only had two weeks. But the material constraint was that we sent out a call to the public for donations of objects that could be ephemera, could be perfume bottle, anything, magazines, uh, scarves. We, we got all kinds of things. So we sent out this call for objects that uh, had something to do with nostalgia for the person giving them to us. And so we had about 40 or so people donate um Brought, brought us things. We had a huge table of all kinds of things. And they, folks who donated were not going to have the items returned, so we knew we could do anything with them. And so we, that was the, you know, the material of the show. We didn't make book art, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up not making book art. <laughs> Although, as book artists, and you, you would know, you, you would be able to see the book art in it. But folks mm-hmm. who came to the opening didn't, probably weren't thinking book art as the first thing they, <laughs> when they encountered the work. So when you do collaborate with another artist, does it affect your creative process? Uh, this, so I don't, again, this is my, now it's been about three years prior to that. I don't have a lot of experience with collaborating, but I can say with Patricia anyway, when I had our books, I could do whatever I wanted with them, right? Where I wanted to take them. But my decisions were also rooted, certainly if I received a project at Halfway, they were rooted in where had she taken the project. And what was so liberating rather than confining for me was she would always take it inevitably in some direction I wouldn't have chosen necessarily, at least materials or uh, technique-wise, because everybody kind of has different toolkit, right? And, um, and she has a vast one. So she did every time something really interesting and beautiful and that I might not have ever have done. Not always because I couldn't, maybe it wouldn't have occurred to me. Uh, that was that was really lovely because it would bring something completely out of my toolkit to, to the project. Um, and and then I would want to respond to that thoughtfully. And so, and, and vice versa happened. So that the books really, if you saw them, they don't, they, they, they all look like they were made by the same hand. One to the next is very different because we wanted that. We wanted to explore very different content, different techniques, different palettes. So they're, they're intentionally, they look different one from the next. Each project is very unified in how it's made. And that just happened naturally. And it wasn't just because we wanted to say, oh, I'm going to imitate exactly what she did. It was, it was oh, look how that was so, and that's so interesting. And, and, and your, your kind of natural thoughtful response to that was not to do something jarring against it, but, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to now bring my thing to that, but I'm going to keep that very, you know, cohesive within the overall. That was just, a, again, I, I feel like the magic of, of collaboration. I mean, when I, you know, like everybody maybe has their own way of where their ideas come from and how, how they best come to them, but um, 
in that sense, it was similar. I mean, I, I tend to take walks and, and do my most creative thinking out walking. Um, and that would happen, of course, either, either way with my own work or, or you know, in collaboration. So, uh, you know, of course you have total control, right, when it's your own thing. I, I really felt that this collaboration was, was kind of a gift every time. And when we would do these exchanges, we both said it really was like Christmas. Well, it seems pretty special and unique to find someone that you work so well with because I could see it going horribly wrong or like not feeling cohesive when you have two people working on it so it seems like there's like a special kind of bond with what you're doing with Patricia I know and honestly <laughs> you know what it's just I don't know for luck of the draw it was mm-hmm. fate. it was I don't know we've made a book about that by the way <laughs> not about not about us versus um whatever else the mysteries of the universe uh, but, but right, I mean, and, and that's the thing, and we wouldn't have kept going, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been a really beautiful, um, very beautiful experience. I'm humbled and, and so grateful. So one of the projects that I saw on your website that kind of stuck out to me, in 2013, you made 52 books in 52 weeks. So that sounds very, very intense. <laughs> um, can you... How, how, I guess, is the question. Like, how did you find ideas? Like, how did you stay motivated for to do mm-hmm. a book a week? Um, and how did that project even come about? So uh, that was, yeah, that was, it was intense. In approximately mid-2012, I, we realized we were going to be moving back to Italy. And I remember this idea flashing through my brain. Oh, wow, what if I did something like that, a book a week? And I remember thinking... That would be so hard to sustain, but could I really do that? And then that idea sort of, you know, went away. <laughs> and then we moved, and soon after we moved, I, well, by the way, uh, anyway, I've been in touch with my Mills graduate uh, pals, and mm-hmm. one woman in particular, Kyla Givehand, uh, we became very close when I was at Mills. She was in the creative writing department, mm-hmm. and that was her MFA. And she... I met her because she migrated over to book art and loved it and, and took many classes. And, and that's where I bonded with her, although we did have some creative writing experiences together as well. Anyhow, we, we stayed in touch. And Kyla, lo and behold, had the same idea and was starting in January of 2013, what she was calling Book in a Day. It was a weekly project, but she, her goal was to sit down and in one sitting make a book in a day. She would do it once a week, mm-hmm. and she did a. Um, she filmed it, so you you know you could watch these uh, little videos of this. I she announced this on I don't know sending out a YouTube or something in January, the first week of January of 2013, and I I saw this video and said, oh my gosh, Kyla, I'm I'm going to do this with you. And so the answer to your question is, in terms of the motivation, I mean, I became it became such a routine for me, but it was the accountability that right. Kyla was out there doing it too. And even though she wouldn't have, you know, she wasn't going to punish me if I didn't do my book that <laughs> week, but the fact that I would say, hey, Kyla, here's my book. And she, you know, of course I could see hers because she created a whole kind of web presence with this project. But um, that was huge. Again, kind of the Patricia thing too, the collaboration of this, you know, someone else is out there waiting for you to bring bring them the goods. You know, you do. So the accountability thing with Kyla was always kind of on my shoulder, um, but it became such an incredible opportunity to, you know, weekly find a new structure, a new story, a new thing I wanted to make. And I wasn't concerned at all. And had I been, this would have been stifling. But I wasn't concerned with making the projects, projects consistent. You know, I wasn't trying to, to make kind of this 
uniform thing that there were 52 of these things that were all speaking to each other. That was not what it was about at all. Again, I think, like I said a little bit ago, I, I love book art for the variety, and I'm not in my own practice at all concerned with this book has to resemble this other book, has to resemble this other book. Um, and so I was completely free of that and could, could in fact, I really enjoyed, oh, right, there are all these formats out there. There's the altered book, there's the game format, there's the, all the things we know, right, in the, in the book art world. And so I kind of, throughout the year, made nods when appropriate, you know, when it fit the content to some of those things. And then invented, in a way, you know, invented forms that fit the content I was, I was working with. So it was, oh, and I should say, and this is important, I had an opportunity to have time because we had moved, we had left our life of 15 years, and I had this strange openness in my life. You know, I didn't really know a lot of people. I, I was just beginning to create community in Italy, so I had time, and that's important. So when I met you at Codex, I picked up the What is a Book Art zine, and it's basically a transcribed conversation of you explaining book art to your father. But it's also, it's super fun, and it's informative, and then you also have a short kind of sci-fi style audio piece, the book hits and satellite, and that also explains book history and book art, but it's in still in very of a fun and kind of accessible way. I don't want to say it contrasts with your other work, but it's definitely different than some of your other artist books, which are more like high craft, high concept work. Mm-hmm. It seems like accessibility and understanding are very important to you in your work. It almost feels like maybe some of them act more like keys to maybe unlocking some of your more complicated work, or how does how do you see them all together? Yeah, I mean, I think so the, the conversation you're referring to, um, I was asked to give a talk in Virginia at the Festival of the Book about how do we book artists get from concept to object. And it was a, I didn't know the crowd coming, you know, who was my audience. I wasn't sure if I might be a mixture of, yes, book folks. The Festival of the Book is really trade books. It's all kinds of trade books. It has nothing really to do with book art, except that there's a beautiful center for the book here in, in Virginia. Um, and they, they, have a, they have an event uh, annually at the festival. But other than that, it's not a book art kind of festival. So I knew it would be kind of a mixed bag of folks, including my own family. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, I really need to address what is book art. I mean, I can't just launch into the concept meets object unless I say what it is we're doing. And, you know, this is nothing new. I think uh, probably you too, Carrie, right? Like people probably ask all the time, well, wait, what, what is it you do? Yeah. What, what is it <laughs> Yep. Um, right? I mean, and probably people close to you who know you well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I've been doing this, don't you know? Right. I think um, I'm still so, explaining that I'm not, I don't illustrate kids books all the time but anyway <laughs> but that's the first question right the first question is so is it illustration right right, right. i mean that, that's the first question mm-hmm. or, or rather an affirmation oh it's illustration in books mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> um, so so my dad recently had said to me when i was sort of thinking about what i was going to write this talk uh not long prior to that he said so tell me again what is it what is it you do okay this man came to my msa presentation at built <laughs> okay dad so you know, bless his heart. But, but and at least he asked, right? He's so curious. That's great. So the thing that you have, the kind of what is book art, my dad was confused and asked, came out of that. It wasn't literally a conversation also because he asked some rather sophisticated things at times that, you know, he didn't he didn't ask me that day. But mm-hmm. And I do use it as a, almost a didactic tool. But I did try to make it funny, right? Uh, at one point, I think it said something like, you know, the reading experience, that sounds like, you know, medication. I don't remember <laughs> that. You know, kind of mm-hmm. the fun of some of these terms that we use and so that was the motivation was to make this thing for for this 
talk. Um, and then I, I, Dad came, and I asked him to come up, and we had the conversation. And by the way, he's he, he's a funny guy, and he was a magician um, when I was growing up, and so he has he has a lot of he's very comfortable in front of a crowd. So anyway, it was it was a funny little exchange we had. But um, the the question of accessibility, I mean, I guess I just feel like with any medium, you know, folks have to know what what is the language you're using mm-hmm. before they can understand the words of it. So I just now take into every time I give a talk, I start with a little what is book art and not necessarily that thing with my dad but just you know give a little intro to the medium because I think it's just too it's just becomes too abstract otherwise and you know my husband often says gosh you picked such an obscure field like well I think it kind of picked me what mm-hmm. am I going to do so I try to make it you know I just I just kind of start every time now with that so there's an accessibility thing the project you mentioned the book it's in the satellite story was from the 52 books. And mm-hmm. that came out of um, the desire to want to uh, kind of, again, a little tongue-in-cheek, but a nod to oral history, of course, but also mm-hmm. a nod to, because uh, it's a recorded story. It, no, there's no book to it. It's a recorded story on a thumb drive. So it's a nod to oral history. It's a nod to this technology that may be obsolete. And the, the very story talks about books that become obsolete. And so it's kind of, it's a very self-reflexive thing, but it's told in hopefully an accessible way in that it's a story that about a father who tells his son the story of, of essentially the story of books and um, what they were. And, and this is in some distant future and he has a dream and, and he goes and visits this distant satellite. He, he holds these books that are these beautiful manuscripts and all of these books that, you know, have, he's, that have been legendary and, and these stories from his father. Um, but there are many things interspersed in the story also about natural resources and mining the earth, and, you know, there's, there's kind of some of that in there. And we've lost the language, so in the story there's no word for book. We've lost, and I've made up some words. And if you see the story, yeah, there are many made-up kind of words. So that was, again, a kind of a tongue-in-cheek, but, but there was some real history of the book and history of book art um, in there. This is a story of the history of the book and book art as told in the future. Read by Lyle F. Harris. Bokits and Satellite 7543000081. Once upon a time, story pacts came to us in the form of an object made from impermanent organics. Bokits's father began. The origins of this object go way back in time, my son. At the beginning, the substances used for fabrication, though fragile, were exceptionally valuable, and the power of these items was such that only select Homo sapiens sapiens could transmit and handle them. Bokitz perked up at the thought of such mysterious, powerful commodities. He shut off 80% of his pulses so his father's story pact could be downloaded in the presence of only low-level bandwave multiplex. The configurations, the materials, the reasons and modalities for producing these goods, and above all, the story pacts in them were different depending on where you were on the crust and in what epoch you were born. Imagine 
his father went on, filtering the word through the whisper effect on his pulses, which always caused Bokitz to pay closer attention. These wares were propped in the whole of your hands, the whole of your hands, son, and story pacts were revealed across linked pages, which were moved using your fingers, not just your touches. Bokitz looked down at his touches, smoothed by evolution over the course of generations. He rarely thought about the rest of his hands, let alone applied his projector wave on them to assimilate wielding a story pact somehow plugged together with vulnerable materials. We have lost the name of the object, but legend code submits that a small cache of these ancient relics exists. This input forwards that they were saved before the Vershnik's disaster and sent by spaceport to satellite 75430081. Great sacrifices were made and much bravery shown in order to preserve these wares. The boy thought of his mother and her bravery. She was on a mineral mission at negative 5623W depth inside the Bingham Abyss. At that depth, self-screen stopped vibrating. Since she left three months ago, Bokitz especially looked forward to his evening screen fusion time with his father. At first, Homo sapiens sapiens used rudimentary handheld instruments in order to transfer flows into singular versions of the story packed objects. Later, multiples could be generated due to character blocks which caused the objects to become widespread. Character blocks were pressed into pages with bulky machines. Metal for machinery could still be found in what were then insignificant wells in the crust. That was an epoxion long before the resource missions began. From the podment where he and his father lived, hovering over the treeless scape, here and there, Bokitz could make out the undulating crust below. The web of bridges crisscrossing canyon lands glinted in the low moon's orange looms. Bringing the boy back to the bedtime transmittal, Bokitz's father nudged his self-screen against his son's self-screen, then continued. At the beginning of ancient computer e-epochion, some Homo sapiens sapiens returned to constructing special versions of these ephemeral objects, innovating unusual techniques. This niche activity was increasingly practiced at many coordinates on the crust. The story pacts in these exclusive commodities compassed in surprising ways. The very materials, how they were hardwired and crosswired with the content, keyed the story packs. Early pixel strands indicate that often all of the former sensory nodes could be stimulated by some of these fantastical revival objects. Critics accuse these goods of being too precious, too self-conscious, but it was as if the fabricators perceived the irreversible tide of the computer e 
and they were compelled to counter it, even extravagantly. Bokitz had fallen asleep. The gentle drift of the podman, coupled with the promise of safety in the identity X-hack zone, had lulled him into it, despite his father's intriguing tale. He dreamed he spaceported to satellite 75430081. Deep inside an abyss, he found the lost objects, some rough-hewn from flattened and woven photosynthesis organics, some assembled from phase three extinction hides, thin and fine, still others from clean-pressed fiber cells organized into impossibly delicate pages. He examined their every aspect, committing each detail to his primary band wave. The hive was decorated with flows and image packs that had clearly come from mark-making devices stimulated by dexterous fingers. The protective covers of a more resistant perishable with shaped alloy closures, whereas graphic character blocks marched across the fiber pages, often millimetrically altering the face levels. As he studied the objects, his fingerprints re-emerged. The sensation in his hands was almost electric as he brushed them, tingling over the textured surfaces. His self-screen buzzed empoweringly as if he were capable of producing any of these treasures. One of the ornate hide objects, its expert miniature story packs, gold and colorful within the bigger story plex, or even one of the ingenious elaborate configurations clearly concocted during the ancient computer e-epiction, such clever marriage of form and content. The books, for in his dream, Bogus knew these were books, were extraordinary. I definitely strive for for a certain craft level, or you know, a certain content level that's sophisticated. I mean, it's not that I sit down and say, I want this to be sophisticated, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm engaging in, you know, very, whatever, broad, broad, big questions for myself, things that, right, that I really want to reflect on, and, 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 uh, and then I want to do it in a, in a thoughtful way, and, you know, I, I love, I love beauty, I love beautiful things, so I, I want these things to be accessible in that regard as well. I was just at, quoted Audrey Niffenegger, you know, her work, she's done a lot, but um, she said, and I can't quote it, but I'm paraphrasing, um, you know, that sort of beauty is, is, you know, the problem of, you know, book artists, but she's just going to go go on and, you know, carry on with this problem that we all have because she loves beauty, right? Anyway, when I read it, it, it resonated so much with me because there's this, that whole debate of the craft and the art and these beautiful objects, whatever. I mean, I think you just, you, you have to make what you are called to make. But I, th I like the very content. I think that I do strive to make things well and make them, you know, again, they are now a lot of text. I have a lot of text, and, and so they are very text-based. So, of course, I'm very much, you know, thinking about well, what, what's the writing doing, you know, mm -hmm. the level of the writing, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, 
they can be varied, but have a but have a kind of um, consistent, you know, at least at least striving for a kind of a certain level. More information about Lyle Harris and the Psy Press can be found at lyleharris.com. Meeting Places, collaborative work by Lyle Harris and Patricia Silva, is now on view at the San Francisco Public Library through September 14, 2017. Lyle will host a panel discussion on September 9th about creative collaboration. For more information, please visit the San Francisco Public Library site at sfpl.org. And if you don't already, you can follow Books in the Wild on Facebook or Instagram at Books in the Wild Podcast, or visit our website at booksinthewild.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Carrie Schroeder, and I'll see you next month.